Welcome to Better Than Nothing. I'm Ken Root. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. Hello, this is Ken Root. I am almost bionic. I've accumulated two artificial hips and two knees. The first was 17 years ago when I was 56 years old. And all four have been done by Dr. Ian Lynn, an orthopedic surgeon in Des Moines at the DMOS centers. Dr. Lynn is a smiling, thin, wiry, sharp-eyed surgeon. He specializes in hips and knees and focuses on general orthopedics and sports medicine, as well as trauma care. And more than that, Dr. Lynn is my friend. One of the few people I really can say is my friend from the uh, medical profession. Uh, And when I concocted this series, I thought of Dr. Lynn Uh, And he, too, has not learned to say no as of yet, so he joins me for this podcast. Dr. Lynn. How are you? Good morning. (laughs) It's good to hear your voice and uh, to remember all the times we've had, which have been rather significant in my life. Now, I know that you have a lot of patients through the years. In fact, do you carry the number around in your head of how many knee surgeries you've done? Uh, right around 6,000 now. 6,000 knee surgeries. Wow. So to remember one guy who walked in in 2005 and said, uh, my right knee is totally shot. Can you fix it? (laughs) Would you be able to pull that out of your memory bank? Well, if it was you, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said you have an ugly knee. I mean, you were looking at the x-ray and uh, not just skin deep, but I had been nursing that knee for 40 years. I hurt it when I was 16. I had it operated on then. Then I hurt it again when I was uh, 26, had it operated again on then. And I had gone to a number of doctors through the years who said, you're too young to have this knee replaced. But finally, your profession started saying, if I recall right, we have better quality knees that will last longer. And just before I got to Des Moines, I had a doctor in Kansas City tell me that whenever you're ready, I would replace your knee. I moved to Des Moines and I was recommended by my local doctor, Dr. Bill Chase, to come and see you. He particularly liked you. I think he did a rotation with you when he was a... uh, a student. And so I showed up in your office and um, that was when you, you hurt my feelings and told me I had an ugly knee. (laughs) I I meant it as a compliment, I'm sure. But uh, Bill Chase was a, he's a fantastic guy. Uh, He did his rotation with me when he was at East Des Moines Family Care, uh, family uh, residency program uh, through Lutheran Hospital. And uh, he was, he was a special character. But I do remember your ugly knee. Um, I meant it uh, more that uh, you had such bad bone and bone arthritis that uh, it was it was really ugly. How many years had you been practicing in 2005? Uh, I was on my starting my ninth year. Ninth year. Well, 
you told me what you needed to do, and I have never watched a knee replacement surgery, and quite frankly, I'm never going to, because <laughs> I just trusted you to do what needed to be done, and um, I went in, and uh, you did that surgery at Lutheran Hospital in Des Moines, and the day after the surgery, my actual knee felt better than it did the day before the surgery. And I guess if there's anything I want to say in this half hour, it is that knee replacement, joint replacement makes a huge difference in your quality of life. Do you get that from others as well? I do. Uh, interestingly, though, most people don't say the day after their surgery that their knee feels better. <laughs> most of people say that is a, it's actually relatively painful and so I don't want to tell everybody, I don't want you going around telling everybody that the day after surgery, you feel uh, better than before surgery. But uh, most of the time, people hurt for the first two or three weeks, and uh, but it gets significantly better. Well, I went through all of the rehab of it because it's a pretty intrusive surgery. Um, it is. And, uh, you know, I, I had have to say that everything else was a challenge for about three months, really. I mean, I had some pretty serious rehab that I went through um, because that leg had not really bent uh, over the course of many years, like many others said. I think my my bend was 10 degrees to 70 degrees. I think that's yeah. all I had when I came into you. Well, that's what happens when you've had previous surgeries. Uh, oftentimes when I see people and they've had previous uh, open meniscectomies, uh, taken out through torn cartilage, uh, they do lose quite a bit of motion with their arthritis. Uh, you know, there's three signs of arthritis, swelling, pain, and loss of range of motion. And you had all three, obviously. And uh, when people have loss of range of motion, it's hard to get their motion back. Uh, so it's very important to balance the knee so they can get their motion back. Well, there are a lot of people out there that have talked to me through the years who are trying to make the decision of whether they're going to have a knee replacement or not. So it appears to me there's a lot of people who have, through one way or another, damaged their knees. Speaking of that joint first, I like to talk about hips as well. What do you get as far as a general overview of, of the damage people have done to their knees when they come into you? Well, generally... It, well, it varies for everybody, obviously. Um, we see people who are younger like you were when you had your first uh, knee replacement. Um, we even see people younger than that. I have a, I had a 29-year-old who was diabetic and her bone uh, was dying from um, vascular compromise. And so we did a total knee on her. And uh, to the oldest person I did a total knee on was 95 in Knoxville, Iowa. And I did both of his knees within uh, a two-week period in Knoxville. And interestingly, he lived till he was like 108 or 109 years old. So you can have degenerative changes like for the older people, or you can have people who have had post-traumatic arthritis uh, who have had previous surgeries, and then you lose their shock absorber cartilage. And obviously, with less shock absorber cartilage, the joint cartilage starts to wear, and they develop arthritis that way. Could you tell me about the joints you put in? I don't know what they're made of or or the technology that goes into them, but I'm assuming for what they cost, they have a lot of technology in them. 
Well, the the prosthesis I put in you is a, it's a Depu prosthesis, D E P U Y. It's a it's a prosthesis I've used um, all the way back in residency, and I've 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 enjoyed using that one. It, the the metal that the prosthesis is made out of is called cobalt chromium. Now there are different kinds of metals for total knee replacements. This is one I just choose to use, but more importantly, the reason that total joint prostheses seem to be lasting longer is I believe that the polyethylene or the plastics in the knee are so much better. Uh, They seem to last longer. They don't have as much wear problems as we did uh, when I first started doing this in 92. Uh, But the, you know, our problem was that uh, the polyethylenes would shred and they would have these little particles that go around the total product prosthesis and would get behind the metal and it would cause wear and cysts. And that's why the prosthesis failed. But now with these new polyethylenes and plastics, uh, it's not doing that nearly as much. And that's why the total joint prostheses are lasting so much longer. I'm, I tell people now that, let's see, I've been in practice. I'm starting my 26th year now and I haven't had hardly any wear, um, in my total joints. Uh, there's been some that I put in a little crooked because of their size uh, or things like that, and that will maybe wear more than others. But generally, if you put in a stable knee, you, these prostheses can last over 25 years now. One thing you did to me is you straightened my leg. My mother was bow-legged, and she transmitted that on to me. And uh, she had her knees done uh, back in, she was in her 70s. And uh, she had one of them done, and that leg was straight, and the other leg was still bent, which was kind of a strange look to her. But I didn't know that when you got a new knee, that would actually straighten out bow-leggedness. Well, that's one of the goals, actually. Um, if you put it in crooked, like I told you that I uh, put in some people who are big, big, big legs, if you put their legs in straight, then their thighs rub so much that it's hard for them to walk. So sometimes you have to put them in a little bit bow-legged just to make it easier for them to ambulate. But in general, we like to straighten out the knee when we do the surgery because then the wear pattern is more uh, uh, even. You don't want to put more wear on the inside of a knee than the outside part of the knee. You want to put it kind of in the middle, and that way it, it supports the weight of the person through the polyethylene, um, both on the medial and the lateral side. um, People who are bow-legged, obviously most of the weight is going on the inside of their knee, and that's why they get more and more wear on that side. I'd like you to talk about the surgery itself in in a manner that we can understand. As I understand it, you go in and actually separate the two bones out, and you cut the ends off of both bones, you drill a hole in them, and you insert this prosthesis, and then you put this cushion in between the two. Is that accurate? It's, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, if people watch YouTube videos and they watch a total knee replacement, they'll be kind of grossed out by it. It's a little bit more complicated than just cutting the bone ends off and putting the prosthesis in. We have jigs. Uh, when we open the knee up, we usually slide the kneecap to the side so we can see the thigh bone and the shin bone. Some people start on the shin bone and make their cuts. Some people th- start on the thigh bone. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, 
So I have a guide that goes into the femur. It's a little, we make a little drill hole in the end of the femur, the thigh bone, and we insert a intramedullary. So it's a guide that goes into the bone. And then that guide helps us determine the cut on the prosthesis, I mean, on the uh, bone. So this guide helps us. We make a, a cut on the end of the bone, just a sliver. It's only usually, oh, maybe a centimeter long sliver. So it's not a very big piece that we take off. And then we have jigs that help us cut the femur exactly the way we want it. We cut some off the front of the femur, some off the back of the femur, and then we call these little angled cuts, chamfer cuts. And then that, that cut, it fits the back of the prosthesis perfectly. Then we bring the shin bone forward, and then we have a guide that sits on the outside of the bone, uh, and it makes a, a parallel cut to the floor. So that's how you get a straight knee. So you can now you cut the femur, you've cut the tibia. Uh, uh, we have these little punches that, that uh, help hold the tibia uh, in place so it doesn't rotate, and a couple little holes in the, in the femur. And then we basically wash it all out, cement in the prosthesis, and then pop in a piece of plastic that is your sort of your quote-unquote cushion. Sounds like you could go home and be a pretty good woodworker after all those cuts. Those are identical in the names, at least. I consider myself a bone carpenter, I guess, but uh, it is important <laughs> to know. It is important to know what you're doing um, so your cuts are straight and because uh, you only get really one good chance at it and you don't want to waste it. And that's why we have these little jigs that help us. Well, they always say you guys are practicing, but I'm I'm ready for you to do it right, not just practice on it, okay? And you did <laughs> on right. mine. You went on from that joint to a uh, hip replacement uh, and then another hip replacement. And then this past year, uh, not quite a year ago, you did my left knee. And it was a different animal. It had not been hurt when I was young. It was the one that carried my body, really, uh, right. through those years, but it deteriorated as well. And uh, I want to say this about the second knee. Even though I was 17 years older, I have to say the outcome after the surgery and the rehab was easier and quicker than the first one. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We have changed the way we do total knees, uh, certainly from 2005 on. Uh, we have different techniques to lessen people's pain. Uh, as you remember, you got a little shot in your thigh bone, I mean, in your thigh before the uh, surgery. Uh, our spinals last a little bit longer. Um, we start rehab a lot faster. And uh, it's amazing how, how fast people recover now. In fact, we do a lot of our surgeries outpatient now, so they don't even stay in the hospital. And it's a it's same a, day, same day. And you, you kept me overnight. I appreciate that. But same <laughs> yeah, same day. day. Yeah, we oh do gosh. same day, total knees, same day, total hips. Um, uh, my population tends to be a little bit older, uh, so it doesn't work as well for them. But uh, I, some of the younger population, we uh, certainly like to try to do them outpatient. But most of my uh, I'd say 75 percent of my people are, are home within a day. Dr. Ian Lynn is my guest who I'm talking to, uh, a man who's done thousands of uh, surgeries on knees and hips, shoulders, etc. And uh, I'm just fascinated by 
the attitude you have and the the can-do spirit. I've always seen that in you. Background on you. You're an Iowa native, as I understand it, and uh, you went to Grinnell as your undergraduate? Yeah, I grew up in Urbandale, Iowa, uh, which is a suburb of Des Moines. And then uh, in the 84, I graduated from high school and went to Grinnell College for four years. And then I went to Iowa, University of Iowa Medical School for four years till 92. Uh, and then I went to residency in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, at Carolina Medical Center is a private program from 92 to 97. I understand you were quite the baseball player. Don't hold back here on me when you were in college. Is that right? <laughs> I, I do love baseball. I, I, I'm i not sure if I would say that it was a great baseball player. I, I could hit. That's uh, That was my in. Anywhere I went, I could hit the baseball. Uh, at, in Urbandale, our team went to state. Uh, we got second in state that year. We had a really good baseball team. Then I thought about playing baseball at a Division One school, but uh, that didn't pan out so well. I hurt my shoulder my senior year in high school, so I decided to go to Grinnell College, and I played baseball all four years there, and uh, I basically started every game uh, for four years, and uh, it, it was a ball. Um, it was different, uh, certainly. The uh, uh, the field wasn't as nice as our Urbandale field. Uh, we didn't have dugouts. It was uh, quite a quite a change. Do you like sports medicine? I mean, do you feel that since you have been an athlete uh, that you can help athletes who hurt themselves? I do do a lot of sports medicine. Um, again, my population is a little bit older, but um, I, do, I used to take care of uh, tons of high school students uh, when I used to be the team doctor for East High School in Des Moines. I still do a, a ton of knee scopes and shoulder scopes and uh, ligament reconstructions uh, that are typical for sports medicine. There was one uh, surgeon, the man who did my first uh, meniscus removal on my right knee, who did something for me that you have not. What's that? He got me out of Vietnam. <laughs> and I say that in a way that could hold, could open up a whole can of worms. But in that period of time, the science of orthopedic surgery appeared to be young. I mean, he kept me in the hospital for four days on a meniscus in yeah, 1964, which is a totally different strategy than you have today. Yeah, now everything is done with uh, small uh, poke holes, and it's all, we call it arthroscopic, so it's done with a small camera inside your knee. Back in the 60s, uh, you, um, you had incisions, and they didn't realize back then that if you remove a meniscus, you develop arthritis. Uh, if you don't leave some meniscus, then the arthritis certainly progresses faster, and Back then, it was easy. Just make a small incision on the front of your knee, open it up, find the meniscus, trim the whole thing out, and you're done. And it and it works. It makes people feel better, but they don't have that cushion. Could you give me your opinion on those people who are now getting um, stem cells injected into their knees? Well, I, stem cells uh, have yet to be proven, uh, I believe. I, we still do it, and I think that it helps many, many people, actually. Um, 
stem cells are interesting because you're basically bringing growth factors and these uh, into a knee to help reduce inflammation. I believe that uh, maybe the stem cells aren't doing all the work and it's more of the, the healing and anti-inflammatory factors that go along with the stem cells that might be providing that anti-inflammatory effect that we uh, hope for. Now, I don't think it's been proven that you can actually grow articular cartilage cells inside a knee. So it's not like you can regrow. If you have a bone-on-bone arthritis knee that you can inject stem cells and all of a sudden you're going to grow cartilage in your knee and prevent a uh, bigger surgery like a knee replacement in the future. That's obviously that would be the ultimate goal would be to develop some sort of way to inject stem cells into a knee that will suddenly coat the arthritic portion of your knee and grow joint cartilage. That would be the holy grail, but uh, that has certainly not been proven yet. Dr. Lynn, you work for DMOS. Uh, that stands for what? Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. And I've looked at the pictures of all the doctors, and you remain the youngest uh, looking. Um, I was going to say, I'm certainly not the youngest. I'm the uh, fourth oldest, I think. (laughs) So you you must have a fountain of youth. You're a very active, very busy person. When COVID came along, um, I heard some people say that you kind of got uh, hyper because you had surgery at the time that's called elective, and uh, they just shut you down as high energy as you are, what did you do? Back in, in I think I guess it would be 2020, when they shut us down for a few months and they said only emergency surgeries can be uh, done, no elective surgeries could be done, it was a, a very unusual time. So basically, it's like a summer off. Uh, but during that time, uh, you know, I idle hands obviously dri- drive me crazy. So I actually redid all my patio uh, took all the sand out, resanded all the patios. I power washed the our treehouse, power washed the decks. I found some old cedar furniture under our deck that I hadn't even seen before, and I refinished all those. Uh, built new outdoor patio tables. Uh, I, I, I couldn't. I, I I couldn't think of enough stuff to do. I think I sanded all my decks and re painted all my decks. It's amazing what you can find to do. (laughs) Yeah. I I should interview your wife to see how that all went, but uh, she seems to be an awfully good woman uh, to support you. But tell me what your normal day is now. Um, How many days a week do you do surgery and how early do you get started? Well, for clinic, uh, we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's usually from 8 o'clock to 4.30 on the full days and then 8 to 12 on my half days. I usually do it, take at least a half day off a week. I do operations on Tuesday and Thursdays. Uh, inpatients are every Tuesday and every other Thursday, and then I have outpatient surgeries every other Thursdays. Um, and usually uh, my surgery goes, I usually do five or six uh, total knees, uh, in a day or total total knee or total hips in a day. Um, and then uh, those are my inpatient days. And my outpatient days, I usually do, oh, maybe 10 to 12 uh, outpatient surgeries in a day. Wow. Do you like that? Is that is that something that at some point in time you're going to have to cut back on or can you keep that pace? 
Oh, it's not, and that's not, that's not ter- terrible pace. It's actually a <clears throat> relatively, relatively easy pace. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't try to, I, at first I didn't do more than five or, or at the most six total joints in a day because my wrist would bother me quite a bit. But uh, I don't know if you know this, Ken, but uh, uh, in May I had my left shoulder dislocate and tore my rotator cuff. So I had that repaired in May. And then since I had a cruddy wrist on my opposite side, I had that fused uh, a month later since I was recovering from my left shoulder. I figured I might as well recover from my right wrist at the same time. (laughs) So I've been off this summer too. (laughs) Well, I have to confess to you that I cheated on you last March. I Uh had my left shoulder done in Florida uh, because the timing was right to get it done. And it was a, a good surgery. And I found a surgeon down there who's considerably older than you, but kind of got the same track record. So you guys that are the orthopedic surgeons are an interesting breed, I would say. And I'm glad we've got the number of you we have. Dr. Lynn, you and I have laughed a lot in the years since I came in in 2005. And uh, you have made me think uh, of your perspective of things. I came in, had my surgery done when I was working for WHO Radio, and I was so pleased with it, I just had to share it to everybody on the air. Well, it turns out, it appears, there's a lot of farmers who need their knees done. And so the next time I saw you, you were hopefully faking it a little bit, but you were a little gruff with me saying you weren't very happy with me talking about that on the radio. Why is that? (laughs) Okay, so I did have a bone to pick with you because... Farmers, you know, they have a small window to have surgeries, but you put it out there that, oh, if you want your knees done, go to Dr. Ian Lynn at DMOS. And then all of a sudden I had so many farmers from all throughout the state of Iowa. I'm not and I'm not even joking about that. I'm not kidding. It was tons of farmers and they all wanted the surgeries in in December and January or end of November. And so we were fitting people in left and right. And I'm, I'm not even being facetious. It literally was for two years, maybe even three years. It was like that. I was like, oh, my gosh, we got the Ken Root farmers coming in. We, we got to save some time for these guys. Oh, well, I guess was- part of it's the power of radio. But the other one is I just said this worked and I can walk again. And I think they took me as a real person who had a real experience. And I know you informed me the other day that there was a farmer who came in and you asked him, you know, how he heard of you. And uh, he said, uh, Ken Root. And I believe you asked him, well, told him Ken Root hasn't been on the radio in Des Moines for years. And do you recall that story? Yes. I mean, this, it was unbelievable. I was like, you still remember that? And he goes, oh, yeah, Ken Root says that you're the best. Oh, my word. I was like, still, Ken, you, you have that much effect on people. I was, I was shocked that he remembered that. Well, as I recall, you told me that farmer and his wife had written down your name years ago when years I said ago. it and put it up in the cabinet. And then when his knee got bad enough, pulled it out of the cabinet and called you. That's exactly what happened. I don't know if it was a cabinet. It might've been on the refrigerator, but it was, he had written it down. And uh, well, I think his wife had actually written it down and, and said, we got to keep this name. And sure enough, he showed up and uh, 
you told me that story and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've told that story so many times and it, it, it's still happening. <laughs> 17 well, I'm going to send you a bill. I'm going to send you a bill <laughs> for the advertising I've done that will offset me sending two of your kids through college for the, uh, the cost of this. But let me ask you, let me talk about a couple of other things. And it's about those of us in society today. When I go into your waiting room, there are a number of chairs that are double wide. And uh, that doesn't surprise me because many of us who have joint problems, we can't walk, but we can still eat. Are we compounding our problem greatly by adding weight after we've got an injured joint? I don't know if the lay person knows uh, how important their weight is on their joints. One of the uh, things that we tell a lot of our patients are that if you gain 10 pounds, you're basically adding 40 pounds per step to the knee joint as you walk. If you go up and down stairs, it adds six pounds to your patella or your kneecap as you go up and down the stairs. It's amazing how it compounds with weight gain. There's certainly an increase in total joint replacements because of people's weight. I have no doubt that that's true. In fact, if you look at the increase in people's weight uh, over the last 30 to 40 years, you'll notice that the total joints basically mirror that. The other thing is that Medicare pays for this. And the insurance programs seem to all pay for this type of surgery. I assume because of the improvement of quality of life. Do you have problems getting insurance companies to pay the cost? Well, since I don't do the uh, approval stuff, I, I, I don't think so. And most of the time, it's pretty straightforward. We'll have um, some insurance companies give us a bit of a hard time uh, uh, because People are too young or I haven't demonstrated enough loss of motion or enough bone and bone changes on an x-ray to do a total joint replacement. But in general, I think insurance companies are pretty good at uh, uh, ponying up for a total knee or a total hip replacement. Mentioning hips briefly, um, I've had both hips done and it's a whole lot easier surgery. It appears to me on recovery and it's... Um, it's one that uh, worked as well for me as the knees uh, because I blew my hips out and had to have them replaced. Are you doing a lot of hip replacement and do you find that it's an easier recovery? I do still have tons of total hip replacements, obviously. Uh, I, I, I do more knees than hips, but I still do. I've done, you know, a couple thousand total hip replacements as well. The interesting thing about total hip replacements are you would think that uh, it would be just as painful, but it doesn't seem to be. Uh, I think that the muscle dissection uh, can be a little bit sore, but in general, uh, there's not much physical therapy that goes along with a total hip replacement. It's ju you just walk and, and you get up and down from chairs and that's pretty much all the therapy you really need, the walking distances. And so I think that uh, helps with the recovery. The, we can do them through small incision technique now, and um, which is kind of nice. We also have people who do anterior total hips where they go in from the front where there's a little less muscle dissection, and people recover well from that as well. 
I had a farmer, not exactly jokingly, ask me about uh, hips and knees when you had them replaced. He said, uh, do they put a grease zerk in them? <laughs> and are the bearings sealed? <laughs> Wouldn't that be so sweet if you can do that? You just have a little stem in there. You shoot a little grease in there just to keep it yeah. lubed up. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, as people say that, they don't understand that. It's sort of what happens when you do a total hip or a total knee, especially a total hip. You actually form a film around the prosthesis and the plastic and that does help kind of gre- keep it greased up. Um, it's not like you can inject it in there, but that it there is sort of a film. Well, to summarize here, I am so much in your debt for improving my quality of life. Um, in reality, my hips and knees are great, but they're not like they were when I was in my 20s. Uh, I don't jump. Uh, I have to limber up. Uh, I also have rheumatoid arthritis to go with this. But the difference in the arthritic joint that I had and the new one is just night and day. And the quality of life for me, you know, 17 years after this first knee is just great. I don't have any pain in that knee at all after having years and years of lots of pain every day. So what you do makes a wonderful improvement in our lives. So thank you. You're very welcome. Well, uh, it, people don't realize how much you exercise. So you walk a lot, you bike a lot, and keeping limber and keeping active and keeping your muscles toned is very important. I think that people who don't do that, their muscles weaken, their knees will get unstable, their hips can get unstable because those joints still rely on muscles to keep them stable. Well, I have uh, tried my best. Uh, but I am overweight, so you've given me more hope to uh, reason to get my muscle up and my weight down. So that'll be my next goal, Dr. Land. It's always good to have goals. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're at DMOS in Des Moines, located next to Lutheran Hospital. And may you have many more good years of practice. And may all this surgery you've had on yourself bring you back to what you were. I am starting surgeries uh, as we speak, so it's uh, it's going to be fine. I, I feel great. So thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to Better Than Nothing. I hope you stayed awake for most of it and liked what you heard. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts or relate your memories, send it to kenroot at gmail.com. We'll try to put out one of these every week, and you can sign up with your podcast service to be reminded when the next one's available. As I now turn 73 years old, I've decided to have two kinds of days, good ones and great ones. See you next week for another episode of Better Than Nothing.